0: to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. We're going through the Bible this year, reading through the Bible this year and trying to hit a point or two in each book in case you've joined us today. Um, This week, you've you've gotten a sheet there that has the Bible reading plan on it. If you didn't get one, they're available to you. Um, And you're going to be reading the book of Ecclesiastes and the book of Song of Solomon this week. Ecclesiastes, the word means to address an assembly. Uh, Sometimes the preacher, the word for preacher or the word for spokesperson, comes from that Hebrew word. Solomon is the author, and Solomon, of course, is the man, the wisest man that God gave wisdom to, uh, the richest man that's ever lived, and if Solomon could do anything he wanted to do on earth, and he could do it, and he did it. In fact, he got out of God's will for a lot of his life. And when you come to Ecclesiastes, you find him as an older man now who's realized his mistakes, and he's trying to give advice to the rest of us. You're going to see the the term vanity or vain many times in the book. You're going to see the phrase under the sun many times in the book, which means life here on this earth. And he's going to tell us, you can try it all. This world doesn't have anything to offer you that's lasting, that will will bring peace and satisfaction in your life only of course we know Jesus Christ will and I will get to that but he's saying that you in fact the first 11 verses in chapter 1 really are the introduction to the book to say yeah I I tried everything and then his experimentation begins in verse 12 of chapter 1 and goes to verse 26 of chapter 2. And then his observations take over from chapter 3 all the way to verse 15 of chapter 8. And then he concludes it and applies it from verse 16 of chapter 8 to the end of the book, chapter 12. Ecclesiastes, we're going to look at chapter 9 today or verse 10 verses. And then Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon was written by so- Solomon, the Song of Songs, and it is a beautiful picture of of marital love. The the thought is the beauty and pleasure of married love. Two parts to it. The beginning of love, chapter one through chapter five, verse one, and then chapter two, verse excuse me, chapter five, verse two through chapter eight. It portrays the glory of marital love, the intimate delights of wedded love between a man and a woman declares the sacredness of marriage as a divine institution. And so you will read these two books. Today, I want to begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 9 of Ecclesiastes. Now, I'm I'm going to tell you that it's going to start out sort of in a bad news way, but it ends with good news, okay? Because we're going to talk about death. Nobody likes to talk about death. I want you to notice what Solomon said after he's tried everything in the world. Here's some of his here's one of his observations. For I considered all this in my heart, so that I could declare it all. That the righteous and the wise and their works are in the hand of God. People know neither love nor hatred by anything they see before them. All things come alike to all. One event happens to the righteous and the wicked. To the good, the clean, and the unclean. To him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As to the good, so is the sinner. He who takes an oath as he who fears an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that one thing happens to all. Truly, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that... They go to the dead. But for him who is joined to all the living, there is hope. Now, here's a phrase to put on your wall. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. <laughs> We're going to talk about what that means. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Also, their love, their hatred, and their envy have now perished. Nevermore will they have a share in anything done under the sun. Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart for God has already accepted your works. Let your garments always be white and let your head lack no oil. Live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life, which he has given you under the sun, all your days of vanity, for that is your portion in life and in the labor which you perform under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you're going. I want to share with you a little bit about living while you're alive. Now I say, well, everybody in here is alive. At least most of you look that way. But are you really living your life? Are you just existing? Solomon would say, you don't just exist. You don't rush through life. I read of a man who prided himself. He, he often bragged about being exceedingly punctual. He followed a very precise routine every morning. His alarm went off at six thirty. He rose up briskly, shaved, showered, ate his breakfast, brushed his teeth, picked up his briefcase, got into his car, drove to the nearby ferry landing, parked his car, rode the ferry across to the downtown business area area, got off the ferry, walked quickly to his building, marched to the elevator, rode to the 17th floor, hung up his coat, opened his briefcase, spread his papers out on his desk, and sat down in his chair at precisely 8 o'clock. Not 8.01, not even 7.59, always at 8 o'clock. And he did this for eight solid years until one morning his alarm didn't go off. Went off 15, and he slept 15 minutes late. When he did get up, he was panic-stricken. He rushed through the shower, nicked himself while he was shaving, gulped down his breakfast, halfway brushed his teeth, grabbed up his briefcase, jumped into his car, sped to the ferry landing, jumped out of his car, and looked for the ferry. And sure enough, there it was, out in the water, a few feet from the dock. And he said, I think I can make it. And he ran down the dock toward the ferry at full speed. When he reached the edge of the pier, with with an enormous leap out over the water, miraculously he landed with a loud thud on the deck of that ferry boat. The captain rushed down there to make sure he was all right, and he said, "Man, that was a tremendous leap! But if he had waited just another minute, we would have reached the dock, and you could have walked on." Many people rush through life like that. They're just going and going. Solomon exhausted every avenue under the sun. Did you notice those phrases when I read under the sun? Everything on earth, he tried to find meaning in life. In fact, pleasure. He tried all the pleasure there was. It was fleeting. He said that philosophy turns up empty. Material things in education, they're unsatisfying. But he came to the end of his life... He returned to the God of his youth, who he followed when he was young. And he realized the mistakes he had made. And now he tries to give some practical advice for you and me who are still on this journey called life under the sun. Now, we know, we know on this side of, of uh, the resurrection, the crucifixion, resurrection, and Pentecost, we know that when we die, we're going to the land of the living. And so I want you to understand what he's talking about here is living on this earth, you're not going to find anything that satisfies except God. So let's talk about living while you're still alive. The first thing is you've got to decide to live. Well, what do you mean I've got to decide to live? I'm living now. I'm breathing. What does he mean by this? There's a difference to submitting to existence and choosing to live. Life is not what happens to us while we're waiting to die. Just existing, well, I'm just gonna hang on till I die. True living is a choice. And Solomon is essentially telling us that if we knew the day of our death, we would live life differently. We would spend our money differently. We would love our friends more intensely. We would kiss our wives more passionately. We would work and labor in water when what matters more vigorously. We would hold our kids more tightly. We would worship God more fervently if we knew when we were going to die. We don't know when we're going to die. And because we're not aware of the day we're going to die, we tend to take life for granted. We sort of run through life. We think, well, if I take vitamins and I eat organic stuff, I'm going to live a long life. Or if I exercise, I'm going to live a long life. Or we invest in our 401ks and think I'm going to have enough money to pay for health care, I'll live a long life. So we waste our days and we waste opportunities that God gives us because we just assume that we're not going to die. The lack of awareness of our fragile lives brings many of us to the end of our life with regrets. And we wish that we had done things differently. Samuel Johnson wrote it this way: He said, Mr. Meant to has a comrade, and his name is Didn't Do. Have you ever chanced to meet them? Did they ever call on you? These two fellows live together in the house of Never Win. And I'm told that it's haunted by the ghost of might have been. You've got to decide to live. And with that in mind, let's talk about death for a moment. First of all, death is the great equalizer. Did you notice what he said? There's one event that happens to everybody. Doesn't matter how you've lived on this earth, it's still going to happen to you. You can be good, bad, or in between, we're all going to die. And death is one of those subjects we just don't like to talk about. In fact, I can prove it to you, we use a lot of euphemisms to describe death. We don't usually say they died. We say stuff like they've passed away or they've returned home, or they've gone to a better place, or they're sleeping in Jesus, or went to be with the Lord. And especially in church settings, we use those terms, and probably at the funerals, and there's nothing wrong with that. I, I got amused at a little boy who came in from a day spending down at the creek, and he had the biggest smile. He was filthy from head to toe. He had the biggest smile on him. He was carrying a dead rat. And he had a big grin. He came into the living room and he said, Look, Dad, I picked up a big rock and I smashed him. And there was blood everywhere. And he he stopped and he noticed somebody else in the living room. And he looked over and it was the pastor of the church. And he said, And he went to be with the Lord. (laughs) Now, when we're not in church and we're a little less guarded, we speak about death like kicking the bucket or buying the farm or cashing in the chips or biting the dust and then there's the every popular he croaked (laughs) and whether you lean to the right or the left we shy away from speaking directly about the ultimate enemy it seems that we're hesitant to come to grips with the fact that we are mortal now COVID this pandemic has brought that reality out because For one thing, it affects people so differently. Some people have very few symptoms. Some people die at an early age. I heard of a a senator who was swept out of office after only one term. And his his defeat was a complete surprise to not only him and his supporters, but also to the opponents. And in his concession speech, he, he... Use these comments he was referring to an epitaph that he saw once on an old tombstone and it said I expected this but not so soon well we're we're expecting to die one day but but not so soon we're like one man who said I'm not afraid to die I just don't want to be there when it happens but you're going to be there when it happens. Hebrews nine twenty-seven says, you've got an appointment with death. It's appointed unto man once to die. Unless Jesus returns, we're all going to die. So it is the great equalizer. Everybody's going to go through it. And, and he says in verse three that between life and death, there's evil and insanity, and we see a lot of that. In fact, somebody penned it this way. This is the age of the half red page, the quick hash and the mad dash, the bright night with the nerves tight, the plain hop with the brief stop, the lamp tan in a short span, the big shot in a good spot, the brain strain and the heart pain, the catnaps until the spring snaps and the fun's gone. About twice a week you ought to look in the mirror and say, you know what, I'm going to die. It could be today. And it will cause you to live your life differently. If you knew today was the last day of your life, what would you be doing? Death is not only the great equalizer. Death is the great eye-opener. A living dog is better than a dead lion. What on earth does that mean? In those days, dogs did not achieve The elevated status of next to humanity that we'd have today. You have dogs that do not know they're dogs. I know. And we do things for dogs (laughs) and animals, but this is dogs he's mentioned. And I I have a dog. I have a dog. I have a dog. (laughs) He's 14, almost 14. And he has issues. And we're taking care of him, like somebody in assisted living. (laughs) But in Solomon's day, dogs were scavengers. They were filthy. Many of them carried disease. Nobody liked them. Now, the lion, on the other hand, was the revered patriarch of the animal kingdom. And you see statues of lions in the ancient world. So, what's his point? He's saying that the lowest of animals, the dog, alive, is better than a dead lion. In other words, he's pro life. He says life is precious. Even if you're a dog, they ask a 10-year-old boy what he wanted to be when he grew up, and after hearing about all the nuclear threats and all of the terrorist attacks, he said, I'd just like to be alive when I grow up. No matter how long you have life, it is precious. And as long as there's life... There's hope for meaning and for change. It's possible still while you're here on this earth to contribute to the world. But when you die, you no longer contribute to the world. Your memory is eventually forgotten regardless of what you've done or how many monuments may have been named after you. Life is precious. You need to understand that you have life. It is precious. This is a good Verse for any of you who may be contemplating suicide. Folks, no matter how terrible you think life is or how many relationships you may have soured or finances that may be non-existent or spiritually you may feel like you're far from God but listen to me. If you're still breathing there is hope for change, relationships can be healed. Life can have meaning. Sickness can be cured. Work can improve. It never makes sense to take your life. If, you're feeling, if you ever feel suicidal, and some of you are feeling that today, you need to tell somebody. It's a permanent solution to a temporary problem. It's just not worth it. Had a man come up after the last service and he told me, he said back when I was in the military, I was in the Navy, I was so miserable and so depressed, I had planned to take my life. He told me how he was gonna do it. And he said that when he went down to the certain place in the ship where it was gonna be isolated, he was gonna take some, too much medicine, overdose. Then when he got down there, they were working on that place in the ship and it was closed off for 24 hours. And he walked back up on the deck and threw all that medicine overboard. And he said, I realized, I began thinking of my daughter. And he's here today, he's a believer now, he wasn't a Christian then. But I'm telling you folks, if you're thinking about it, if you're watching this on television later and you see this online, suicide's not to answer. Solomon said, listen, life on this earth is a gift from God. It's precious. We believe in the sanctity of life. Don't end it. Solomon pulled no punches in his death-dealing revelation here. He, In fact, he said our days are numbered. It ought to motivate us to live that much more earnestly with the day that we've been given. Deuteronomy 30 verse 19 says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice and that you may cling to him for he is your life and the length of your days. Solomon said, decide to live. Live. Don't just exist, let's live your life. Now he's going to give you some practical advice. So let's, let's talk about delighting in life. He said to delight in it. Life is to be chosen, then fully lived. Missionary Jim Elliott wrote, Whenever you, wherever you are, be all there. Live to the hilt every situation you believe to be the will of God. Jesus intended for us to have this kind of life. In John 10, 10, he said, the thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. That's Satan. But what did Jesus say? I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. What do you think the abundant life is? Does it mean being the richest man in the world? There's lots of rich people that aren't enjoying life. Does it mean to be the most famous person in the world? Hollywood's no testimony to the joy of life. What does it mean to live your life? A a man passed his physical, well he just had his annual physical exam. He was waiting for the doctor's initial report The doctor came in after a few minutes and he said, there's no reason why you can't live a completely normal life as long as you don't try to enjoy it. (laughs) Well, I'm going to share with you how you can enjoy it. Solomon does. He says, first of all, enjoy the ordinary. Look at verse 7. Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. A meal, a meal always gets a Baptist's attention. Um, a meal is an ordinary event. But do you enjoy your meal? We're so accustomed to eating on the run, grabbing a burger on the way to an appointment or plowing through a plate of food with a cell phone in one hand or a newspaper next by. One man told me, he said, my next house will have no kitchen Just a vending machine and a large trash can. (laughs) Family meals used to be the emotional touchstone of the family. It's when for a few moments, husbands and wives or parents and children could enjoy each other for just a few minutes to seize the ordinary occasions. But we're in such a hurry. The situation we're in reminds me of a captain's airplane announcement on one of those transatlantic flights. He came over the PA system and he said, ladies and gentlemen, I've got good news and not so good news. The bad news is that all of our navigation equipment has gone down and we are lost and we don't have any idea where we are. The good news is we have a 200 mile an hour tailwind and we're making record time. Well, a lot of people are headed that way with their life. They don't know where they're going. They're just going there in a hurry. They're not even enjoying the little things. Someone has said it's like a, life is like a taxi ride. The meter keeps ticking whether you're going anywhere or not. Slow down and enjoy a meal, even if it's a bologna sandwich. <laughs> Doug and Jeff down here on the front row were talking about we like fried bologna with cheese in the middle. Now we want one. I said, well, go get one. <laughs> Fried spam's not bad either. I don't know what spam is, but fried is pretty good. <laughs> just enjoy it. Sit down and say, God, thank you. You know, there are people who won't eat today around the world, and yet we gargle it down. We don't even enjoy it anymore. And just ordinary things the fact that you had the health to be here today. You got in a car, you drove up here, you could be here. Enjoy the ordinary things. Because one day, you may not be able to drive anymore. One day, you may not be able to walk anymore. One day, you may not be able to come or or do the things that you're doing. And even now, if there's limitations, still enjoy the ordinary. The second thing he says is to enjoy special occasions. Verse eight, let your garments always be white and let your your head lack no oil. In the Old Testament, births and weddings and harvest festivals, those were all special occasions and they required somebody to dress up and freshen up. In Solomon's day, black clothes and ashes on their head were a sign of mourning. White clothes and oil on the head was a sign of rejoicing. Oil on the head is the ancient equivalent of deodorant and perfume and cologne. So do yourself and others a favor and use it. (laughs) But Solomon says to dress every day as if you're on the way to a celebration of life. Some might say, well, what do I have to rejoice about? I could die any time. Exactly. You could die any time, so it's a great reason to let every waking moment be a celebration. I understand there are days when you're tired, other days you may not feel well, but... But folks, get dressed. Eat out with a friend. Why? Because you can. Another way to put it is this. Have a blast while you last. Enjoy life. Enjoy special occasions. Enjoy weddings. (laughs) Here you go, Wayne. Uh, His son's fixing to get married. You know, we we can enjoy family reunions and we enjoy vacations and trips and holidays. Let every day be a special day where we wear white clothes and clean ourselves. And white may have been symbolic of a clean life. And many times in the Bible, oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And when you live a clean life under the inspiration and guidance of the Holy Spirit, every day is a festival day a wealthy businessman was walking among the commercial fishing docks and he noticed a fisherman sitting next to his boat, wasn't doing anything, just relaxing and the wealthy businessman said, why aren't you out there fishing? The fisherman said, well I've caught enough fish for today. The businessman said, well why don't you catch more fish than you need? The fisherman said, what would I do with them? He said, well, you could earn more money and buy a bigger boat so you could go deeper and catch more fish. You could purchase nylon nets, catch even more fish and make more money. Soon you'd have a fleet of boats and be rich like me. And the fisherman said, then what would I do? He said, you could sit down and enjoy life. He said, I'm doing that now. (laughs) Enjoy life now. Not what it's going to be or where you're trying to be. The third thing he says, enjoy your one and only the special relationships in life. In verse nine, it says, live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your life, which he has given you under the sun. I think it's strange that he wrote that. Because here at the end of his life, Solomon had a thousand women in his life. And yet, I believe that he had one great love in his youth and he took that gift for granted and allowed his relentless pursuit of pleasure to destroy that relationship. That could have been the most satisfying. One poor fellow commented that the only thing he and his wife had in common is they were both married on the same day. A lot of marriage is in trouble. A dietician once addressing a large audience in Chicago said the material we put in our stomachs is enough to have killed most of us sitting here years ago. Red meat is awful. Soft drinks erode your stomach lining. Vegetables can be disastrous and none of us realizes the long-term harm caused by the germs in our drinking water. But there's one thing that is the most dangerous of all and most have or will eat it. Can anyone here tell me what food it is that causes the most grief and suffering for years after eating it? 75-year-old man said, wedding cake. (laughs) In all seriousness, guys, it says, enjoy your wife. Why is it a lot of men, after they say, I do, Turn into a frog again. You remember that story? The princess kisses the frog, he turns into a handsome prince. They live happily ever after until he got married, and then he turned into a frog again. That's that's my part of it. What if instead of our courtship ending after we're married, that we start courting each other again. We start listening carefully. We start loving more intensely. We're to rejoice, he says, to live joyfully with the wife of our youth. God is teaching us. Our days are numbered. You don't have forever with them. Enjoy them. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Proverbs 18.22 says... If your wife is good and you have a wife, you've found favor with the Lord. And by enjoying her all the days of your life with delight, you show how much you're thanking God by enjoying her, and God enjoys seeing you enjoy. Now, ladies, it works both ways. Are you easy to enjoy? If your husband is going to enjoy you, you've got to be easy to enjoy. You've got to be nice. If you want your husband to desire your company, make your company pleasant to be around. And men, if you want your wife to enjoy you and delight in you, make yourself enjoyable to be around. There's an old quote from a Talmud who's a commentary on the Jewish law that says, a man should eat and drink beneath his means clothe himself within his means and honor his wife above his means. People don't fall out of love. I get so tired of hearing somebody say, well, I just don't love him or her anymore. I'll tell you what the problem is. You quit investing in each other. You quit courting. You quit dating. You quit working at it. And don't give me the excuse, well, I don't know what to do. Well, you did something right or you wouldn't be married in the first place. Do it some more. Do some little things. Do some nice things. And parents, while I'm on the subject, children are a gift from God. They're not an added expense or a hindrance to your spontaneity. They're a gift from the Lord. Enjoy your children. They're going to grow up and be gone before you know it, and you're going to regret, why didn't I do this more? There's a fourth thing. Enjoy your occupation. He says in verse 10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there's no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you're going. Do you ever find yourself saying, you know, I, I love my job. I, I can't believe they pay me to do this. Colossians three twenty three says, "Whatever you do, do your work heartily, as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of your inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve." Do y'all remember Irma Bombeck? Irma Bombeck used to write very creative, great writer. I want to read something to you that she wrote on the day that she found out she was dying of cancer. It's entitled, "If I Had My Life to Live Over." I would have gone to bed when I was sick instead of pretending the earth would go on a holding pattern if I weren't there for that day. I would have burned the pink candle sculpted like a rose before it melted in storage. I would have talked less and listened more. I would have invited friends over to dinner even if the carpet was stained or the sofa faded. I would have eaten the popcorn in the good living room and worried much less about the dirt when someone wanted to light a fire in the fireplace. I would have taken time to listen to my grandfather ramble about his youth. I would have never insisted that the car windows be rolled up on a summer day because my hair had just been teased and sprayed. I would have sat on the lawn with my children and not worried about grass stains. I would have cried and laughed less while watching television and more while watching life. I would have never bought anything just because it was practical wouldn't show soil or was guaranteed to last a lifetime. Instead of wishing away nine months of pregnancy, I'd have cherished every moment and realized that the wonderment growing inside me was the only chance in life to assist God in a miracle. When my kids kissed me impetuously, I would have never said later, go get washed up for dinner. There would have been more I love yous, more I'm sorries. But mostly, given another shot at life, I would seize every minute, look at it, and really see it, live it, and never give it back. Some of us have forgotten how to have fun. Life for many has become so burdensome, so negative, so bogged down, we can no longer even enjoy a good meal or a good conversation or a good hard day's work. In fact, that may be the missing ingredient in this century. Have you ever seen people so mad all the time? And folks, what has impaired our ability to enjoy life as a believer? Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly. What, what's the deal? Well, I can tell you one good place to start if you're gonna have joy in this life is turn off the news. Amen. If you watch it 24-7, you're gonna be a curmudgeon. You're going to be gripey all the time. Now, in the first century, there were a lot of killjoys coming into the Galatian church, so let me quickly tell you three things I want you to dodge the killjoys, the joy thieves. Listen to Galatians 3, 1 and following. Oh, foolish Galatians, Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Let's get something out here in the open. We can't undo what we've done in the past. It's done, it's in the history books, so don't go there. But starting today, starting today, you decide to live, there's three kill joys you need to avoid. The first one is perfectionism. You try to live a perfect life, you're going to be the most miserable person on earth. None of us are perfect. We're all flawed. All of us have made mistakes. All of us are sinners. A perfectionist is someone who takes infinite pains and gives them to others. (laughs) The closest to perfection a person has ever come is when they fill out a job application form. That went way over your heads. There are people who call themselves Christians, who are believers, who mistakenly believe that their actions dictate the love that God has for them. What a miserable life to live. God loved you when you weren't perfect. God loved you when you were sinner, separated from him, and God forgave you and put his spirit in you, and ye, you are now his child, and he knows you're not perfect. So the Greek word I would give for you is chill out. <laughs> Relax a little bit. Enjoy the grace that God's given you. Do you think your children are perfect? I didn't say grandchildren. I said children. (laughs) The second killjoy we find in chapter 4, verse 8. But then, indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not God's. But now, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? The second killjoy is legalism. We don't obey God out of a sense of legalism, trying to make him love us or, or forgive us. We serve him because we're grateful for what he's done for us. But somehow, people have a tendency to think, you don't do this and you don't do that, and you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't. In fact, it reminds me of the little boy who went to kindergarten the first day and the teacher asked him, son, what's your name? He said, Willie Don't. <laughs> he'd, been heard, he'd heard don't so many times he thought it was his middle name. I, I have a tendency to think that some of us grew up in church thinking that our names were Christians don't. Christians don't, they don't, they don't. There's so much we can do. And don't let somebody rob you of joy. I mean, we put all these rules and regulations and yeah, obviously, there are a lot of principles in the scripture that guide our our actions, especially when we could cause another brother to stumble or something. But we start making all these rules. You can't do this and you can't do this and you can't do this. and We just think that we're a good Christian because we don't do something. Live your life. Live your life. You live under grace. It's not a license to sin. The Holy Spirit will guide you. The third is found in chapter 5, verse 7. You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? You ran well. The third killjoy is conformity. Don't try to strive don't strive to try to live someone else's form of righteousness Jesus came to set us free conformity it's a joy killer they put blinders on racehorses so they will not be distracted don't try to run someone else's race Be who God wants you to be. This is in a book entitled Surprised by God, written by Stan Gade. It says a discussion was held at the workplace about the values of living the Christian life. Quote, I think genuine believers actually live better lives, one of the workers stated. He went on to explain, even when I'm in the depths of despair and life seems meaningless to me, I am constantly struck by the fact that godly people live better lives. It is at such times, he said, when I see things for what they are, when I see life for the sham it is, I'm reduced to a blithering idiot. I don't want to do anything. I see no purpose. I am more than a little irritable, and I certainly have no time for others, including those like my wife, whom I dearly love. Those blind to the reality I see, he said, of his life, those who live as if life is meaningful, who who believe in a God who cares for them and loves them, they seem to enjoy life the most. Others go around searching for purpose and meaning in their lives, but always come up short it isn't just what that it isn't just that believers are personally happier he continued believers treat other people better they're more likely to care about their neighbor when i'm feeling hopeless he asked his co-co-workers how do i behave after a moment of awkward silence he answered his own question like a lonely frightened child trying to find my way it is only when you have confidence that things are okay that God is in his heaven that you can go out there and confront troubles and help the needy. It's much easier to give of yourself if you think yourself is securely in God's hands. You see, the only way that you can have joy in this life is when you know Jesus as your savior. Church doesn't make you happy. Religion doesn't make you joyful. And real purpose in life doesn't come from religion, it comes from Jesus who lives in you. If you don't know Jesus, you're not ever going to experience life to the fullest. I didn't say all your problems would go away, I didn't say you'd never be sick, didn't say you'd never have heartache, but but the Lord said I'm gonna walk with you through that and you're gonna have peace and security and assurance that you are my child, real joy comes from knowing Jesus. And if you've not met him, you can right now. Would you pray with me? Lord, I pray for those today who need Jesus as their Savior. I pray that you'll show them that even though their sin has separated them from you, you love them dearly and that you will forgive them if they will ask. I pray that they believe that Jesus lived a sinless life, that he died on the cross, willingly gave his life for us, that he rose again and conquered death and sin. And I pray that they will commit their life to you by receiving Christ even now. Lord, I pray for the believers in this room We get bogged down in this world. It's so full of heartache and frustrations and evil. Help us to keep our eyes on you. And Lord, even if we have a bologna sandwich today, help us to enjoy it, to be grateful for it, to know that it's another gift from you, the fact that we have enough to eat. I pray you'd help us to enjoy the ordinary events, that you'd help us to enjoy our families, our wives, our husbands, our children, grandchildren. I pray for those that need to mend some relationships with friends. And Lord, I pray for those that need a church. If this is the place you want them to come, you send them here. If they need to be baptized to profess you publicly, I pray that you would do that. Send them here. If you're watching us online you can hit that connect or that I need prayer button or you can text the word living hope one word no no space living word 474747 and there'll be a response that you can fill out and we will respond to you maybe you're in this room and you want to do the same thing or you can use that card in the seat pocket and say my decision today and if you will drop that in the box as you leave we will call you on the telephone and talk to you and that's our first response to you so Lord today we pray that lives will be changed and people will decide to live their life with the joy that you intended to be grateful for life today and I pray that you will encourage them Help and take a deep breath and enjoy living a life in jesus christ and it's in his name that we pray amen thank you for listening to today's message if you would like more information to make a commitment or to request prayer please text the word podcast to five 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 eight eight eight. you can also connect with us on our southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.